This is Marcus Buckingham talking to Leader Lab. So who are you and what do you do? My name is Marcus Buckingham and I run a company called TMBC, which in a system of creativity is short for the Marcus Buckingham Company. Um, and we teach managers how to be better at getting uh, more productivity and performance from their people. Well, well, fantastic. And I have to do a default now for our, our Leader Lab listeners. Part of the reason Leader Lab exists is, is actually because of, of Marcus, so I'm really excited to welcome him on the show. Um, as I started to express myself and play to my strengths, the, the blog and the podcast was a natural sort of outcropping. But I'm, I'm curious to ask you, actually, what got you into – you're one of the forefront people in the strengths movement, but what, what led you to sort of realize that these strengths are so important in the workplace? Well, I, uh, I, joined, um, I joined the Gallup organization in 1987, fresh out of university. And um, my what was intriguing to me at the time was that the Gallup organization was the only organization I could find that was doing – uh, research into what was right with people. And because at, I mean, at the time when you studied psychology at university, you studied only pathological functioning. Uh, you studied deviant behavior, you studied psychosis and neurosis, but you didn't really study in depth what is right with people. What are their talents? What are their strengths? What are their advantages? Whatever word you use. We, we didn't have a, a way of doing that. And the person I got to study under was. To, um, Donald O'Clifton, who became, who was the chairman of Gallup at the time and became my mentor. And uh, Don obviously was mentor of Marty Seligman, who in 1989, 1990 became the president of the American Psychological Association and started the positive psychology movement. Um, really on the, on the back of what, the work that Don had doing. So I was very fortunate that I leapt from university right into, I think, probably one of the most um, influential psychologists of last century, Don Clifton, and got to work hand-in-hand with him in the development of Jones Finder. Um, and really, uh, the the whole focus of our work then was on studying what the people who excel in a particular position do differently. The work that I began with was managers. Every company is interested in managers. Clearly, managers have a huge impact on differing levels of performance and engagement and retention and accidents on the job and pretty much any employee outcome you can look at varies massively team by team by team within the same company. So that implies that the local manager is a very important part of every employee's uh, work experience and the company's success. So I got to study great managers in depth uh, and was was blessed to do that, that I just had an awful lot of interviews that we had a chance to conduct and transcribe and pour over. And the result of that work became First Break All the Rules, which is the, the first book I wrote. And when you really look closely, I and mean, if you were to, in a sense, overgeneralize, but if you were to overgeneralize and say, what do the world's best managers do differently? You would say that they find a way to capitalize on the fact each human being's nature is different. They capitalize on that. They don't fight against that and try to enforce conformity. They capitalize on the fact that each person has unique strengths. 
so what led me to the whole focus on strengths in the workplace is in 87, 88, 89, studying all these great managers and realizing that's what they did. That's their modus operandi, and it separates them out from all those other managers and leaders who just really try to make every single employee conform to some preset routine, procedure, or ritual. Well, well, well we're, we're quite glad you did. I actually was unaware of the, uh, the Martin Seligman. I mean, I knew about Seligman, but I was unaware of the connection. Yeah, Marty was, um, Marty was president of the APA at the time, uh, American Psychological Association. And he had had an epiphany of sorts. All of his focus was on pessimism, rather on learned optimism and when you, whether you can learn it. And he and uh, Don became connected. Uh, and I think Don, uh, Marty realized there really was no organized academic discipline around the study of when things go right for people, whether it's well-being or happiness or joy or compassion, or in the case of all the work that we were doing, high performance. Um, and so, well, at least there was some study of that in the workplace, but there was no academic discipline supporting it. And he um, he really got behind it. And we had him out to Gallup a whole bunch of times. And, and Don is known as the grandfather of positive psychology, and I think justifiably. He, he, he died before he, he had a chance to see the flowering of that discipline. Um, I mean, today, the most popular class at Harvard is David Ben Shahar's class on the introduction to positive psychology, and I think he would have been so, Don would have been so pleased about that. I'm sure Marty is very pleased about that. Oh, absolutely. And I, I love, one of the things I love is that there's some high quality uh, research actually coming out of it. It's more than just sort of a, I even hate to use this term, sort of touchy-feely movement because it has grown out of it. There's even, I mean, the Journal of Positive Psychology that I check in with every once in a while and, and read the research on is, is fascinating. And, and on, on some extent, I believe that the new book, Standout, actually plays to that. There's a lot of different inventories out there, but I love that it's kind of weird to start with the appendix, but I love that the appendix outlines the entirety of the research methodology and how you came to develop the assessment. But let me ask you this way. What made you decide yeah. to create Standout? I created Standout because um, the the other assessment that I created with Don was called StrengthFinder. And StrengthFinder was designed for the individual. Affirm the individual, describe the individual style, and it was it was done, you know, ten years ago, almost exactly ten years ago, and it was I think one of the first instruments of its time to, in a in a in a disciplined and rigorous way, help you have a language to describe the best of yourself, which is great for you as an individual. It helps you apart. The challenge was for a manager in the real world is that what we've done with StrengthFinder is we made the manager's world more complicated. Because not only is it quite challenging, as it turns out, for an individual to remember their top five themes of talent, which you get when you take StrengthFinder, but obviously for a manager, it becomes incredibly difficult to remember. Let's say you have 10 direct reports. It becomes very difficult for you to juggle five times 10 to 50 different themes in your head as you try to get people to take their uniqueness and make it useful. And that's really the job of a manager, isn't to kind of bless people with uniqueness. It's to say, well, that's great. 
everything, that you're unique in that way, but how do we make that to a useful contribution for this team or this organization or this community? And there wasn't anything that did that. And Strength Finder wasn't very good at doing that because it was designed for the individual. So I designed Standout really as a solve of that problem for managers. How do I quickly get to know my people in a way that's useful? I pinpoint their advantage, and then can you then feed me, can you feed me the manager ongoing and techniques as to how to get the best out of that particular person? Can you do it fast, and can you do it uh, in a way that's customized to the individual? So that's why I built Standout. I mean, obviously, for the individual, you want to know what your edge is, too. You want some pinpointed focus on what is my advantage. Um, so in that sense, Standout kind of puts you back together and says, well, you know what? Whatever your broad style is, when it comes to looking at what your edge is in any position you take on, this is probably a good way of describing your edge. That's what it does for the individual. But for the manager, it's a accelerated way of seeing what's powerful about each person, and then an accelerated way for knowing what you can do to actually put that power into practice. Absolutely. And one of the things that I love about it is that as, as the data was taken and cut and factored and run, it narrowed it down from all of the themes of talent and strengths finder down to, to nine, just nine strengths roles that are sort of that edge. And of course, everybody has a sort of a secondary. Um, could you briefly sort of run over what those nine strengths are and maybe a, a one-sentence Sort of talk on what they mean? Yeah. We looked at all of the different talents. About We interviewed a little under half a million people and looked at what are the talents that are most predictive of performance in a variety of different job positions. Um, and we sliced and diced and sliced and diced. And as you know, as anyone knows, when they do any kind of analysis on data, you know that in the end, if you keep running your factor analysis, you can get fewer and fewer and fewer factors. In fact, you can go all the way down. In psychology, you can go down to the big five. In England, actually, they go down to the big three. Um, so we had to make, at some point, some judgment calls about how chunked we wanted to chunk all these data together. And when push came to shove, as we analyzed which particular talents are most predictive of subsequent success, we landed on these nine. These nine, and we came to call them, and we bented a bunch of names around, but we came to call them strengths roles because they are, they are roles that you play, and you can play them well or you can play them poorly. They're not good per se. They just describe the role you're going to play on any team, the greatest value you're going to bring uh, to any team. And they... Uh, they're as follows. Um, the first one is advisor. Advisors are practical. They're pragmatic. In any team, they're the one who's saying, um, here's what we need to do in order to solve this problem. They're invigorated by solving problems. They're um, always thinking to themselves, what is the best thing to do in this situation? Second one is connector. And connectors, the first question is, who can I connect to what? To see the world as a there's a constant uh, set of connections between people and things, and things, people and people. Uh, there's no set organized way of doing things. There's always just possibilities of connecting a person to a bigger idea, a person to a product, a product to a bigger idea. They're that person. On any team, they're the one that when we're, we turn to them and they pull magically somehow, they pull an idea or a person from their mental Rolodex, they've just been kind of instinctively collecting over the years. 
Then there's creator. The first question uh, that the creator asks is, what can I understand? So the first question the creator asks is an interior question about, how do I make sense of the world? How do I make sense of what's going on on the surface? Identify the concepts that explain why things play out the way they do. As a leader, the creator is the person we turn to to help us make sense of things. As a salesperson, they're the person we turn to to help us understand why we should buy. Um, they are a person who might need a little more time to think through. They won't be rushed. They don't like surprises. But they are a person who brings order, conceptual order, through uh, superficial chaos. And there's equalizers. If you're an equalizer, you lead with uh, answering the question, what's the right thing to do? Uh, right in terms of moral order. Think in terms of the world as a set of moral connections between people. It's not just relationships. It's commitments made and commitments met. And also, uh, there's some structural order, too, in equalizers. So there's an enjoyment of predictability. To do what you say you're going to do. Commitments help that. Systems help that, too. There's an influencer. Influencers are always thinking, how do we move you to action? They always think about momentum, acutely sensitive to momentum, of conversation, of a meeting, of a presentation, of a room, of anything. They're thinking about how do I move you to commit to do something you didn't necessarily intend to do. So for them, pretty much um, every conversation is a sale. Then there's um, pioneer. If you're a pioneer, your question, your default question is, what's new? What's next? If you're a pioneer, you see the world as a friendly place, you're opportunistic, basically think that the way things are isn't the way that they necessarily have to be. We, we could try this and we could try that. We should. And probably in the ambiguity, there's goodness, there's possibility. I mean, yes, of course, the pessimist will say, well, look, in the ambiguity, there could be all sorts of ways in which things could go wrong. And the pessimist will tell you that they're going to be right often than any kind of pioneer would be, but the pioneer says, you know what, it doesn't matter. We're going to stick around that corner. It'll be all right. They bring to the team a sense of possibility. And this provider, your provider, your first question is, are you okay? In any situation, the provider is sensitive to the individual um, emotional location of a person. Where are you at? Are you all right? What's going on? So this is a leader. The provider provides a safe space for innovation, a safe space for creativity, a safe space for sharing of ideas and not worrying on the person's part that the leader is going to take the idea and squash it or, 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 or steal it, share it before it's ready. The provider is a person who creates genuine, I've got your backness in an environment, which of course speeds everything up. You've got stimulator. The stimulator's first question is, how do I raise the energy? How do I raise the energy of this conversation? How do I raise the energy of this room? They are acutely sensitive to the emotional trajectory, the emotional trajectory of a situation. And they feel the responsibility for elevating that trajectory if it's going down. So they, may, they might not necessarily be the person who wants to be on stage. They like the staging. They're aware of the staging. They're always aware of the staging, of whether or not we have um, lightened and, and, and elevated this mood or whether we've let it slide down. Um, and they themselves need some downtime to replenish their emotional stocks, if you will. So their life can be a bit of an emotional roller coaster is too strong a word, but it can be sometimes like that. 
We like them on a team because they really do bring energy to the team and they can't help themselves. And then there's teacher. The last one's teacher. And if you're a teacher on any team, your first question is, what can I learn? What can he learn? What can she learn? You're predisposed to seeing people as growing things, things that have potential. And it might be tiny little increments of growth. It might be huge leaps. But you're always thinking of people as works in progress, and you like the messiness of that. That's okay. You like getting on the floor with people, seeing the world from their vantage point. You're not too good for that. You're never too good for that. You're always down there with them, seeing the world through their eyes. And and if they want to find a route to path, a route to growth that isn't necessarily your path, then that's that's all right. You'll let them run that way. So those are the nine. Those are the nine strengths roles, and not one of them is a guarantee of success as a leader. Not one of them is a guarantee of success as a, as a salesperson or as a manager or as a teacher or any position. But those are, our, from all the research that we managed to do, those were the best ways we could find to categorize the most powerful um, human qualities. Absolutely, and, I, and I'll add to that. And they're they're quite surprising, but when you start to reflect on them, they make sense. You know, I my day job is I'm a, on a university faculty, and I, so I expected teacher would show up somewhere in there. And in reality, I was an influencer and equalizer. But later, as I started thinking about it, it kind of makes sense. You know, I teach I teach organizational behavior, human resource management, and leadership, and I've, I'm sort of have this crusade of trying to get leaders to treat their people better and realize that you know. The, the idea if we treat people good, they'll then treat you know us and the organization good. And so there's a cause there, and that perfectly lines up with the influencer and equalizer idea that there's a mission, and my job is to teach my students that and convince them of that idea. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny. Influencer equalizer is a very um, – it is a crusade kind of combination because you are sure you're right, and then your job in life is going to be to go out and persuade other people that – that they should see it the way that you see it, and then you're invigorated by that. And um, you know the thing about, and I, I mentioned this in the in the book, stand out that I, I, I wrote to accompany the assessment. The assessment is a situational judgment test. It doesn't ask you like we did with Strength Finder, or like you do with Les Briggs, or like you do with DISC. It doesn't ask you to rate yourself on a list of predefined traits. Um, which is uh, nothing wrong with that approach. It's just it, it, the results of it will reveal how you see yourself. And with standout, I didn't want to do that. I wanted something that would basically be constantly asking you, what would you actually do? What would you do? What would you do? A summary is a summary of behavior, what you would do, uh, which means that it's the summary of how you come across to other people. It's not necessarily how you see yourself. In fact, as you said, it, it might surprise you initially. Because you think of yourself as one thing, but if we give you for every one of those nine strengths roles, we give you 12 chances to uh, jump in an influencery way, and you, and you, whether you know it or not, you keep jumping in that way, then it's not random. There's a, there's a pattern there. And the pattern, in this case, is an influence. For, for you, it was an influence pattern. And uh, I, held out hope that people would be able to see their results as how they come across to other people. And then the challenge would be, well, you can either come across that way accidentally or you can come across that way on purpose. 
And the hope of the instrument for the individual would be that we can help you come across that way on purpose. And on that note, coming across in that way on purpose, what after the assessment is taken, and I know what my my uh, primary roles are, how can managers and leaders use that on their teams? So now we have a team that knows where their their uh, strengths lie, where their their primary and their secondary roles are. How do we use that moving forward to to work better as a team? Well, I think it actually starts with the individual. I would suggest that any individual who takes this assessment, it's a pretty meaty report. I mean, there's 22 odd pages of report you can get, and obviously you can navigate around online within it. You don't have to have all that in front of you at once. But there are at least in each strength role there are uh, there are three pages that if I got my results, I know when I did get my results, I looked at uh, and underlined all the particular advice that seems most relevant to me at the time. So how do you make an immediate impact? There's six or seven different actions suggested in terms of how to make an immediate impact if your lead role is advisor, if your lead role is influencer, if your lead role, whatever your lead role happens to be, what is your fastest way of making an immediate, immediate impact? And then there's a, a section on how do you take your performance to the next level. So I would do the same there and read through those and highlight for you, well, what can I, what can I do now? What is relevant to me now in the role I'm in? And then lastly, there's a section on what do I watch out for? What are some of the pitfalls that I might well avoid if I just move it there? If you can use your strengths for ill as much as you can use them for good and for productivity. So in order to avoid using them for ill, what are the most obvious pitfalls for an influencer? What are the most obvious pitfalls for an equalizer? I would ask the individual, if I was managing someone, I would ask the individual who just taken standouts to highlight what are the things they can do right now, what would they immediately take from that report that they could use in their work. And then for the manager, frankly, and this, you know, this is a longer conversation probably, but the manager, we've built, uh, we've built a, a web application for managers called Standout M, which enables a manager to have every person's results show up in their dashboard. And obviously the individual gets their full results, but the manager gets, you see on their dashboard, you see the person's face, you see their top two strengths roles, you see the greatest value that person brings to any team, and then you've got a cheat sheet. So we have built this app so that managers would have a, a mobile way to immediately know, how do I focus, David? How do I reward or engage him? How do I challenge him? How do I have a tough performance conversation with him? How does this guy learn? If he's an influencer or equalizer, what's the best way for him to learn? How do I get him excited about change? Because the way you get an influencer excited about change is not the way that you get a teacher excited about change. So our focus has been for managers to use the standout assessment as a doorway into a much bigger platform, a web app platform where a manager would basically be able to have a whole team in their pocket, on their, on, their, on their tablet, on their smartphone. And at any time, I could pull up my team, and there it is, all 10 people. And I can scroll from one to another and see what unique advantage they bring, and then how can I best take that advantage and put it into practice. So that's um, – we actually, fortuitously, we're launching that um, uh, at the end of this month. Uh, and I'm super excited about being able to go from a report. Sometimes people end up just putting in a draw 
uh, frankly, and turning it into a much more mobile, um, relevant, uh, real-time tool that a manager can use. Oh, absolutely. I, I'm I'm in the process of getting ready to have uh, my my first child, and the joke I always hear is there's no there's no manual uh, for this for this little thing. And I think managers say the same thing. There's no manual for how to lead this person or this team. Well, you know, now when this comes up, this, there is, and it's an app on your smartphone. Uh, I think it's a fantastic idea that you can actually have a little bit of a manual of how to actually lead the individuals on your team. And then the other thing that I'm completely juiced about, I have to say, is it um, it gives you uh, twice a week uh, manager tips customized to you. So you're a particular kind of leader or manager. You're, a, you're an influencer equalizer. And therefore, I don't really want to give you a bunch of generalized tips for leading and managing people because, frankly, the way that you do it is going to be different than the way I would do it. I'm, I'm, I'm a stimulated creator. Well, the tips that work for you, unless I'm just giving you pure conceptual tips, all the practical, tactical techniques um, that will work for me will look stupid when you try them and vice versa. Um, so what we've got is a customized uh, tip feed that enables us to offer you advice from people like you. And and the idea of getting that twice a week is uh, I'm I think the whole of leadership development, frankly, is hamstrung by the formulaic approach where we where we define leadership as a formula and then we try to make everyone conform to this formula, measure the formula on three sixties, teach the formula in our classes. And yet of course if there's anything we know about le- leadership is it's idiosyncratic. And yet we don't build that idiosyncrasy into our training and development of leaders. So I think the future of leadership development will be saying, what is the algorithm of you, David, as a leader? Can we figure that out? I'm hoping Standout would help you figure that out. And then can we drip feed you, just drip feed you techniques and tips from leaders like you so that you are constantly getting the chance to be a more effective leader while at the same time retaining your authenticity as a leader? Yeah, it's it's a fantastic idea. I think it's, in some ways it, it parallels uh, what's going on in the medicine world where evidence-based medicine has been really popular for a long time and we now think evidence-based leadership. But what's really on the forefront of the medical world is genetic-based medicine. I, based on the, your coding of your genetics and who you are as a person, you should do this intervention. So the idea that there's, a, there's, there's something out there that is, for lack of a better term, genetic-based leadership, you are this type of strength role, and so these are the tips that will work for you. It's a fantastic idea. Yeah, I mean, I actually hadn't thought of that, um, that connection. I was thinking of it in terms of more venal things like marketing and advertising and movies, and like I wrote a little bit about in the book, you know, the, the idea of any content provider these days, whether it's a, a Facebook or whether it's a Netflix or a New York Times or um, Pandora or Spotify radio, Every content provider is thinking about who are you as a person and then only then feeding you relevant content. Uh, but you're right. In the field of medicine, too, we are going more and more to saying, what's your particular chromosomal, chromosomal identity? And then can we tailor our interventions and therapies to accommodate the fact that, that although there's certain things about human beings that are similar that make us human beings, uh, there's an awful lot of really relevant variation. Uh, therapies need to accommodate that variation. I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. That's, that is a, a significant trend in medicine, and, and it kind of adds to that. It's like one more 
growth point where you go, gosh, in leadership development, we it's crazy that it's it's sort of sensible that my doctor might know more about me than my company does, but it's crazy that Amazon would know more about me than my company would know about me as a lead, which right now is the case. Oh no, absolutely. The, the recommendations I get from Amazon based on based on my buying behavior are far more what I need to develop in in my uh, in my field than what I think people would give as the formulaic. Here's a few things about it. So it's it's a it's a fantastic idea, and I I love that Standout is at the the forefront of that, and not only claims to be at the forefront of that, but has a wealth of research methodology and data validation to prove it, which you go ahead and include in the book. Um, I love I love that as a you know we. The Leader Lab, our, our audience and our folks, we all tend to geek out on, on research. And so I love that that's in there. Yeah, well, I'm that way too. Um, and I love making psychometric assessments. So the whole challenge of, I mean, you know, the whole challenge of finding the right questions is always a huge rush because you think you're going to be getting these questions and then you get all of your data back and you go, that question didn't work at all. Okay, fine. So that whole building of the instrument was just awesome. But then being able to go out to these different research groups and putting putting the most recently promoted heads of the National Association of Independent Schools through the instrument and seeing the variation and putting the best salespeople in America through this, through this instrument and seeing the variation, um, putting the best managers in, in the world through this instrument and seeing the variation. I, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm always intrigued when the research lies in the face of what we are broad generalizations, like how I know managers, all managers are the same, or all salespeople are the same, or all leaders have a particular approach. And then you realize that, no, there are some concepts they may all share. Like I wrote about in First Break, All the Rules. I mean, there's some concepts that great managers share, but they pull it off in really surprisingly different ways. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, and I love, I love that this assessment digs into it. And so, for the leaders that are out there listening, check out Standout. Buy, buy it in triplicate or more for for your entire team, and get the dashboard going. But if it's okay, I'd like to switch gears to to you and ask you a couple of things. Um, yeah. One is one is uh, what are you reading now? Am I reading? I'm actually reading. I'm reading a. A book called uh, Jerusalem, a biography. So I am, uh, uh, I'm fascinated by uh, history. I've always, I've always been fascinated by how things come to be the way they are. And I realized that a city that probably takes up more news, more news space than any other city in the world is Jerusalem. I didn't really know very much about it. And so uh, uh, an old college friend of mine, it has, I was watching TV the other day, and President Clinton goes, um, he's on an NBC Today show, and he, uh, Ann Curry or somebody goes, what's your favorite book of the year? And she go, and he goes, Jerusalem. I'm Simon Seabag Montefiore. And I was like, Simon? He was an old college friend of mine uh, who I haven't seen for 25 years. And then the way the universe works, right, you, somehow it works out. The, the next week I'm at a, dinner party and he's sitting across from me and so we started talking about his book and I congratulate him on, on President Clinton's sh- shout out and then I bought the book and I'm, I mean it's a long read but it's 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 fascinating um, to see the leadership 
I'm a believer, frankly, in the great man or great woman theory of leadership. That that's not just historical trends that play out one way or another. Um, that it's the players that make the difference. And as you read this biography of a city, you through the eyes of the leaders that have run that city. It's fascinating to see uh, to see how leaders have different leaders have played a really significant part in the trajectory of the Middle East and thereby the trajectory of most of the Western world. Um, yeah. And then I'm, I, I've just finished uh, Isaacson's book on Steve Jobs, which I thought was very interesting. Uh, yeah. Quite written quite quickly, but I thought quite well. Yeah, I, I've um, had that actually on my nightstand uh, for a while now and just haven't... I, I think the size of it intimidates me, but I need to just dig into it. Yeah, you know, you should. It's It's... You end up with a very clear sense of the man, and I think if that's what you want from a biography on leadership, then it's a good book. I mean, you can argue with bits of it, but it's well, you know, it's very well observed. And he was a massively influential figure, so it's worth looking at him. And he doesn't follow the preset rules of leadership at all, and that kind of calls the preset rules of leadership into question, given his massive uh, success. Oh, also, yeah, by the way, reading a, I'm reading a really interesting book by a guy called Brian Christian called The Most Human Human. There's a competition. Oh, I've heard of that. Have you heard that book? It's yeah, great. It's one where he does the uh, the Turing test, right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm just fascinated by uh, what it is that makes us human and how we recognize that. So what happens is basically... You know, there's a there's a Turing test where you try and have a computer fool a bunch of judges that 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 they're human, and in order to throw off the judges, they include some humans in the interactions, the typed interactions, so you don't see the person. Obviously, you just have a conversation with them over the course of about 20 minutes, and then you you go over the, the the period of time of the competition. I think it's a couple of days, and uh, in the end, the judges have to say which of the people they were interacting with were actually people and which were which were computers, and, and there's a prize given to the most human computer, which is the, the program that gets the most votes that, that it fooled people into thinking it was a real person. So you get a prize for the most human computer, but then, weirdly enough, there's also a prize for the person who gets the most votes as a person. And so they get the, the, the prize of the most human human. Uh, and so it, it raises the question of how do you differentiate yourself from a computer program? Uh, and of course, that speaks to what is humanity and how do we interact with one another. And I think that's fascinating. Oh yeah, no, digs, it's, it's a funny little idea for a trophy, but digs into much larger existential questions that I I think is yeah, yeah. absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I had heard a, a, a episode of Radio Lab where they talked about it and then referenced the book and sort of added it to the really really large uh, Amazon wish list that uh, I have. <laughs> um, what's next for you? What's next for Standout? Well, I. I believe, as we were talking about, that uh, we are going to move into a much more customized and individualized approach to all human development, but particularly leadership development. And I believe that Standout can be a useful uh, provider of that initial algorithm. And so all of the, the work on the assessment is great, but it leads to a bigger platform. How can we provide for leaders an ongoing platform 
customized to them where they will have a chance to learn from the best leaders in the world who are like them. That idea of, of creating that, clearly right now that does not exist. Um, and clearly the leadership development community in general has chosen to take a formulaic approach where we are, we are defining leadership in advance according to a preset list of competencies or behaviors or traits. And then we're measuring you against that and we're then saying, well, here's where you're lacking and therefore you should go learn this in order to be a better leader. That's, that's currently what's in place pretty much everywhere. Um, I believe you fast forward three years, that will be all gone as we become more and more uh, customized in our approach to the development of people. Uh, and luckily, we've got the technology to do that now. And I think and hope that Standout will be a part of that. So I'm for the next couple of years, I'm going to really bear down and try to ensure that we build something for managers and leaders that's really uh, useful in customizing the approach to their own development and to the development of their people. All right, and we'll be watching and following along and using, doing whatever we can from the Leader Lab side to, to help promote it because I think it's, you're exactly right, and that's where the field, whether it's going there now or not, needs to go. So that's where yeah. we're going to help taking it. Marcus, thank you so much for joining us inside the Leader Lab. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.